Um, I want you to, I want to ask you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 37. And um, if you don't have a Bible today, we have some Bibles that we've prepared for you in front of you, in the in the pocket of the seat in front of you. And um, we, we invite you to use one of those. We're going to be in those Bibles. We're going to be on page 422. And so go ahead and help yourself to one of those. And we always want to say, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, by all means, take that with you. We want you to have the scriptures in your possession. And so uh, feel free to just take that as our gift if you need it. And um, But today, if you're using that Bible 422, the rest of you uh, in your own Bibles, Ezekiel 37. And um, we're going to begin right at the beginning at verse 1. And so let's read what that says. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of the valley. And it was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet an exceeding great army. And so what I want to ask you to do now is you're standing on your feet. I want to ask you to read with us out loud um, our statement on the doctrine of regeneration. We're going to put it up on the screen for you here. There we go. And so I want you to read this with us and so that we can we can meditate on this and ponder it together. We believe that man was created by God in his own image, that he sinned and thereby incurred physical, spiritual and eternal death, which is separation from God. That as a consequence, all human beings are born with a sinful nature and are sinners by choice and therefore under condemnation. We believe that those who repent and forsake sin and trust Jesus Christ as Savior have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and have become new creatures, delivered from condemnation and are recipients of eternal life. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So as you know, we've been taking a look at the essential doctrines that govern the teachings of Northridge Life Church. And we started several weeks ago with the authority of Scripture because all of uh, what we teach comes from that head, the authority of Scripture. And then we spent four weeks considering the nature of God. We started with the Holy Trinity and then we examined each person, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Today... 
We're going to move into a different part of this series. It's the part concerning the application of these truths that we've learned about the Bible and about God and how we can apply them to our day-to-day existence. And we begin today with the biblical doctrine of regeneration. Now, I realize that for some of you, this has to be probably a new word. You haven't really thought in those terms before. That's okay. Um, So what does regeneration mean? Simply put... The, the prefix re, as you know, means again. It, it, it means a repetition, again. And, and to generate means to become or to happen. And, and therefore, the literal meaning of the term regenerate or regeneration is to become again or to happen again. But what, the question then becomes, what are we becoming again? And what are we, what is happening again? Regeneration is the mighty work of God by which unbelievers are given a brand new nature, being born again. It's both, number one, the removal of one's old sinful nature, and number two, the imparting of a brand new nature, one that is responsive to God. One of the clearest instances in all of the Bible of Scripture's teaching on regeneration is found in Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews, and uh, came to Jesus at night, and this, this, tra- this conversation transpired. And we'll pick it up in John chapter 3, verse 3. And it says, Jesus answered him, that being Nicodemus, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? That's a logical question, isn't it? How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound, its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Jesus is saying, now understand this, Jesus is saying that in our current fallen, sinful state, we're unable, unable to understand, to experience, or even to appreciate the things of God. Therefore, if anyone among us is to have any hope whatsoever of the two words Jesus, is, use, Jesus uses here, are, uh, if we have any hope of seeing or entering the kingdom of God, he must be born again. Or for our purposes this morning, regenerated. Now notice, now I want you to take careful thought of this, especially if you have been raised in church or maybe you've even avoided church because of what you thought we would teach you here. I want you to notice real carefully here that Jesus Christ does not tell Nicodemus to do something. Pay attention. Look back over the text. Nicodemus was never instructed by Jesus to do something. He was never even told to believe something. He, he's told essentially that there's nothing he can do at all. On the contrary, 
to see the kingdom of God, to enter the kingdom of God, Christ says that something must happen to him. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's not giving Nicodemus another rules. Listen, Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. He had the rules. He knew what the rules were. He didn't tell him, you know, here's a list of doctrines. Believe this, Nicodemus. No, he's saying something has to happen to you, Nicodemus. If you want to see, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Now, see, Nicodemus has an advantage over us. We, I think many of us have been disadvantaged because we've been growing up in a church culture or a, or, or a church culture in America where we've been bombarded with this term born again. And, and, and so, so we've heard it so many times we think it means one thing and not the other. And, and we've heard it so many times that the radical nature of the idea is not dulled in our minds or in his mind by his familiarity with it. And so, so therefore, he asked, how can a man be born again? In my humble opinion, the late Dr. R.C. Sproul is one of the finest and most precise Bible teachers of the last hundred years. And he helped me this week, although he's dead, he helped me. He wrote a booklet uh, a couple years ago, entitled, What Does It Mean to Be Born Again? Now, here's the good news. If you'd like to read it and check up on me, um, it's available for free on Kindle. Um, so you can download it and read it for yourself. But in this booklet, he outlines six things that we need to remember as we consider what Jesus said about our need to be born again or regenerated. He says that regeneration is necessary, it's a mystery, it's only the beginning, it's a sovereign work, it's immediate, and it's permanent. And instead of reinventing the wheel this morning, if you'll allow me, I'm going to borrow his outline, giving him full credit, in order to explore this truth with you. So, Dr. Sproul begins by pointing out that regeneration is absolutely necessary. Jesus could not have been clearer in what he said. He said, you must be born again. He did not say you ought to be born again. You should think about being born again. He said, you must be born again. There is no other way to know God and to experience his presence, his power, his salvation. God is not roaming around in the trees and in the leaves. You must be born again to truly know and experience God. You must It's not optional. Dr. Sproul says this. He says, to put it as simply as I can, if you are not spiritually reborn, you are not a Christian. Come on now. Being born again then is the indispensable first step to truly being a Christian. You can't, you can't throw it out. You gotta, you gotta go through that path. And why is this the case? Why is it so important? Why did Jesus place such an incredible emphasis on this this concept of being born again? It's because as he told Nicodemus, he said, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The differences between our natural fleshly person and that which is born of the Spirit is so dramatic. It's so dramatic in ways that we can't fully appreciate in our present fallen condition. Paul, uh, Pastor David referenced uh, Romans 8 earlier, and Paul in Romans 8 says this, he says, For those 
who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Now pay real close attention to this next line. Chapter, verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is what? It's death. And he says, those of us who live in the flesh, we're set our minds on the things of the flesh, and, the, and to set our minds on the things of the flesh translates into, it's, equi- it's a, an equality to death. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It's not that they just hadn't found God or figured God out. When all of us are in the flesh, we're literally shaking our fist in the face of God. We're hostile to God. He's saying, this is the way, walk in it. And we're saying, that's the way I'm going to walk. We're hostile to God. It says it doesn't submit, this mindset on the flesh doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot Those who are in the flesh, get this, cannot please God. Could he have been more clear? So being born again, or before being born again, our minds are set on the flesh. And according to Paul, this makes us as spiritually dead as that pile of bones that Ezekiel saw in his vision that we read about. It means that we, when it says we set our mind on the things of the flesh, it means that we obsess over and worship temporal things, surface things, destructive things, and selfish things, and it cannot be otherwise. First John chapter 2 describes the three and only three categories of sin. Did you know there's only three ways you can sin? There's only three ways. They all fall, every other creative way you find to sin always falls into one of these three categories and sometimes a combination of one or more of them. But he says this, in these three categories of sin, he describes them as the lust of the flesh. And the lust of the flesh is what my physical being demands. It's all of its addictions, ranging from food to sex to drugs to alcohol, and even things like popularity and power. He he says that the other category of sin is the lust of my eyes, what I see or imagine and, and I'm striving to acquire, whether it's even possible or not. And then he says the third one is the pride of life. It's a worldview that is centered on me and my desire to dethrone God and his way. And that's why Paul described our pre-Christian condition in Ephesians 2 as dead in trespasses and sins. He says this, he says, We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And because of this, we were by nature children of wrath. That means that we were just just bratty little kids waiting for the punishment, the judgment of God to come upon us. We were by nature, that was who we were it was hardwired into us by nature children of wrath just like the rest of mankind paul says do not underestimate please for your own sake for the sake of your soul do not underestimate the impact that your sin has made on you don't underestimate it there's nobody in this room who when jesus found us was making occasional mistakes oopsies None of us were doing that. I love the, the, I think I said this once before, I love the, the great theology that comes out of the movie, the, movie, the Wizard of Oz. The, the coroner of Munchkinland sings over the dead body of the wicked witch of the East. He says, she's not only merely dead, she's really most sincerely dead. 
And that's who we were in our trespasses and sins. We weren't kind of dead, folks. We were utterly, completely dead. Don't underestimate it. And you might protest. You might say, oh, come on, Mark, that's a little harsh. Not a drug addict, not a thief, not a child molester, I'm not a murderer, I'm not even a politician. I kiss my mama, I stand up for old glory, and I don't cheat others. I am a good person. Well, if I can get a little morbid for a second, I want to describe it to you this way. Let me just describe it to you this way. Somewhere in the world, statistically right now, this has to be true, somewhere in the world right now, seconds ago, a beautiful teenaged girl with friends and popularity and a bright future, just died. She just passed away. Maybe it was a wreck. Maybe it was a sudden illness. I don't know what it was. But if we saw her lying there right now, just seconds after the fact, how dead do you think she'd look? How dead do you think she'd look? Maybe she'd fixed her hair just right and put on a beautiful dress. Maybe she had just touched up her makeup. At first appearance, you would look at her and you'd go, she looks great. There's no decomposition taking over her body yet. She looks as if she could simply awaken. But my friend, she is still clinically dead. And let me ask you this. How less dead... Is she than some guy who's been rotting away, worm-eaten in a mausoleum for the last five years? Folks, dead is dead. Dead is dead. The comparative appearance of the two corpses is immaterial. Neither are breathing. Neither, uh, neither heart is pumping. Dead is dead. And when we start getting into this comparison of I'm not as bad as this guy or this lady's worse than me, we, we, we get into this thing, we don't realize that any sin, the smallest sin, is an absolute violation of the holiness of an almighty God. And when we do that, we don't realize just how dead we are because we got fresh lipstick on? Come on! You're dead! Dead! And if you're not born again, whether you seem to be squeaky clean or whether you're the most vile scum of the earth whose sins are very public, you are dead. Spiritually, you're no better off than those bones we read about bleaching on the desert floor that the prophet saw. And I say to you what Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must So regeneration is necessary, but Dr. Sproul says it's also a mystery. Jesus compared this activity of the Holy Spirit of regenerating us or causing us to be born again to the blowing of the wind. He said, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And that's why when God asked the prophet, Son of man, can these bones live? He looked at him and go, not in any way I can figure out. I mean, I don't know what science, what magic, what alchemy you would use to put these bones back together and create life here. And so his only response was the natural one. He says, oh, Lord God, you know, it's a mystery. It's mysterious 
this this thing about the blowing of the Spirit, it's mysterious in who it affects unto salvation. That's why some good people die. I was this week, just this week, with a, with a, a young man who uh, I think really highly of, a, a really great guy, really great guy, really wonderful personality, a lot of talent, a lot of uh, uh, really good things, no real big moral, you know, black eye or anything like that. But when you talk to him about Christ, his response is, not for me, don't have anything to do with it. And I don't want to be a downer today, but if this young man does not repent, he will spend eternity condemned and damned and away from the presence of God. But he's a good man. That's why some this mystery, this mystery of salvation, as it can be explained to him clearly, and yet good people die having rejected Christ all their lives, while testimony after testimony tells of some of the most reprobate sinners who got awakened to a new life just in the nick of time. Why does this happen? Because it's a mystery. Known only to God. Known only to God. But it's mysterious in another way. Let's do a little audience participation. Make sure everybody's awake. And I'm going to demonstrate what I mean. Raise your hand if you know for certain the exact moment and place where you became a follower of jesus christ raise your hand it, only if you know the exact moment raise them up high hold them up okay everybody look around okay put their hands down now raise your hand if you are convinced without a shadow of a doubt that you're a believer but you cannot pinpoint when and where that spiritual transaction happened raise your hand real high you see the point is the set now i'm gonna ask the first group only is the second group lying? Do you, do you have to be able to nail down the moment and present some sort of documentation in order to be counted as a believer? No! Why? Because we're dealing with the supernatural. We're dealing with the, with something that has been done to us and done in us and, and apart from us. It's something mysterious. Something mysterious. Let me ask you this, first groupers. Can you remember your natural birth? Do you remember? Tell us about it. Well, if that's the case, if you don't remember it, then prove to me that you're alive. You see my point? You see my point? You can prove you're alive by the ongoing activity of respiration, the circulation of your blood by cognitive reasoning, etc. You know you're alive by the presence of life. You following me? Everybody on the train of logic I'm traveling down the track on with here? Similarly, similarly, you know you believe, not because you have a baptism certificate or church membership, etc., but, but by the presence of belief and the transforming work, the ongoing transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Are your actions, your attitudes, your priorities becoming more pleasing to Christ every single day? If so, that is very good evidence of the presence of new life. That's how you know, not remembering a moment... And that leads us to our next observation. Regeneration is only the beginning. Just as a newborn baby begins to grow and learn and develop, when the Holy Spirit makes us alive to Christ, we're just getting started. When, when Ezekiel sees 
the bones begin to rattle together and take on muscles and organs and skin. The miracle was just beginning. The moment of belief is also only the beginning. It's, it's so sad to me. And this happens all the time when I see someone who thinks they're saved because of a beginning. But at this point, maybe years later, they have no interest in scripture, no interest in the corporate worship of the church, the fellowship of believers, etc. They have no interest in the things of God whatsoever. See, true faith Mark it. It's true. It can be proven biblically. True faith is validated by growth in holiness. That's how you know who's in and who's out. By growth in holiness. Jesus said you can look at a tree and you know what kind of tree it is by the fruit it's bearing. It's this growth in personal holiness, connection to the body of Christ, sacrificial living, loving the scriptures and, and walking in humility. Living right does not make you saved, but if you're truly saved, you're going to live increasingly right. I'm saying you don't have to, you, you don't have to like meet some moral standard for God to, to change you to, to, for you to be saved. But boy, once you're saved, if you're truly saved, God's going to be changing you. Regeneration is not only necessary and mysterious in the beginning, but it's also a sovereign work of God. And this should be obvious when we consider that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. The dry bones in the vision of Ezekiel were not alive even with muscles, with organs, with skin. They weren't alive until the breath entered them. Now, if you were here last week, you heard me talk about the Holy Spirit and the, the word for spirit in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word ruach. And, and that word means literally wind or breath. And, and so, so when you see that word over and over again in, in Ezekiel, whether it's spirit or wind or breath, you see you, it's the same word, ruach. And it speaks of breath. See, salvation never happens. Listen to me. You didn't, I, I say this all the time. I know I'm repeating myself. I'll say it again and again and again because our culture has been told a thousand things different than this. You did not find Jesus. You did not find Jesus. You were not looking for Jesus. Jesus, if it were up to you to find Jesus, you would have been doomed a long time ago. Regeneration is not to be understood except with the initiating action of God. God starts it. Take note of this almost alarming aspect of this doctrine of regeneration. Listen, pay careful attention. This is so alarming, but the fact is that regeneration precedes faith. It precedes faith. Let me explain what I mean. It means that everything, as I just said, everything begins with God. In other words, regeneration is not to be understood as God standing apart from us, gently persuading us to come to him until we make the first move. No! Rather, the Bible teaches that God invades the soul in order to work a, sub- a substantive change in the heart of man and wo- a man and a woman so that they can come to Christ. It's the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit that enables me to have faith. I couldn't even have faith if it wasn't for God's working in me. Faith is a gift of God. Can I prove it to you? Ephesians uh, 2, 4. 
says, but God, this is right after he says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now look at that verse again. When did God make us alive? Even when you were dead in your trespasses. Even when you were dead, God's active work came in, made you alive, brought you to faith, and you put your confidence in Jesus Christ. None of us could have come to the cross of Christ on our own power. God had to overcome our spiritual deadness and enable us to respond to him. And I love, I think Pastor David read this this morning too, Romans 8, verse 30. And those who, watch this, watch the, the order here. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now justified is the point where we get saved. Now watch, two things had to happen before you got saved. Two things. First, God chose you. God predestined you. I know that people choke on that like a chicken bone in their throat when, when they hear that. But the fact of the matter is God said, Don Litton, I want you. Sherman, I want you. God said, Shelly Smith, I want you. He chose you for salvation. It's wonderful truth. Wonderful, just amazing truth. So he had to choose you first. But next, he had to call you. He had to regenerate you. He had to bring you back to life. He had to to enable you to respond. It was only when he enabled you, when he brought you back to life, that you could respond to his call and be justified, be saved. God had to first act or you would have had no hope of salvation. When it comes to God's saving work, Northridge Life Church holds to a concept called monergism. Don't get scared. I'm going to explain it. Monergism, mon meaning one and erg meaning a unit of labor or work. Um, It means that we believe that all the work of bringing you to salvation, of getting you saved and of keeping you saved is done by one. And we believe that that one is God alone, which is opposed to another word you're probably actually more familiar with. Uh, synergism, which holds that two or more are doing the work. In this case, it would be you and God. The Bible is clear throughout, from Genesis to Revelation, that we were two things, both unable to save ourselves and uninterested in being saved. There was nothing in me that wanted to be saved. God had to enable me against my stubborn will to come to him in faith and believe in order that I might be rescued. And that's not to say, now listen to me carefully, that's not to say that there's no place in Christian theology for, for synergism. After God regenerates us, he, we have to use our will to repent and to believe. And it's also vital for our sanctification, for our growth and holiness. After we're regenerated, we have to cooperate with God by using our will to choose to obey, to trust his word, to pray in faith for a few examples. But watch this, watch this. On this monergism versus synergism thought, even though we know that that we're encouraged to walk in holiness and to obey God and all of those things that use our will, even then Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 that it is who? It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
So God is working in you, even in all of your choices with your will, to obey him and do the right thing and, 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 and pray and have faith and all those wonderful things. God is working in you to put the want to in you. And aren't you glad? Because sometimes my want to reserves are pretty darn low. So we have seen at this point, regeneration necessary, mysterious, only the beginning, sovereign work of God. Now consider with me that regeneration is also immediate. I love this quote from Dr. Sproul, so I'm not going to explain it. I'm just going to read it to you. He says, you're either spiritually dead or you're alive to the things of God. You're either unregenerate or, or regenerate. There is no in-between state. Watch. It's like pregnancy. No one is almost pregnant. Likewise, no one is almost regenerate. You either are or you aren't. When we say that regeneration is immediate, we're not just talking, though, about passing time that happens like that. In fact, we mean two things. First, regeneration on the time issue is instantaneous. And that means that there's an exact moment when God awakens you to the fact that you're a sinner and and that that being a sinner ain't working for you. You may not be able to remember that moment as we demonstrated earlier or even recognize it when it happens, but when it happens, it happens. When the breath of God entered the the bodies that were once simply dry bones, immediately, the Bible says, they stood on their feet and became an exceedingly great army. Immediately, all it took was the breath of God entering all that death, no matter how it was clothed, entering all that death, and immediately it became alive. Second, immediate generation means that God doesn't require some means to awaken us spiritually. What that means is that there's no certain prayer, there's no scripted prayer or church ceremony or rite that is necessary and that God himself does the regenerating. Again, from the scriptures, Ephesians 2 again, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved. Now these next phrases are are really critical. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. If you're saved and you're patting your on the, yourself on the back, you have completely missed what has happened. Amen. It wasn't you. It's not your own doing. I don't know how the Bible could be more clear. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And what do you do when you get a gift? You say, thank you. You say, thank you, God. Thank you. It's not a result of works. Your salvation is not a wage. It's a gift. So that no one can boast. Man, I'm telling you what, if I could have earned a salvation as great as this, I would have never stopped bragging. I would have been like, you wouldn't believe what I did. Randy could have never done it, but I did it. You know. But, but Randy got saved the same way I got saved. Paul got saved the same way I got saved. Don got saved the same way I got saved. Who's gonna boast in that? For we are His workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, when you read those couple of scriptures, who's doing all the labor in those scriptures? God is. Okay, last, regeneration is permanent. And this is so amazing. This is so glorious in the scriptures that knowing my salvation is a gift from God and and that my my salvation comes only from him it, it gives me confidence that i cannot lose and i cannot screw up what i didn't obtain for myself i said i can't lose it 
I can't screw it up because it didn't originate with me. It wasn't given to me based on my good works. And so there's nothing I can do to mess this up. Nothing. And and there's a lot of you in here that need to go, Oh, thank God. Thank God. Because you are safe. You're secure in God. Philippians 1, 6, I love this. Paul, listen to the confidence in Paul's voice. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And you're not done yet. You're in progress. And the day is coming, Pastor Dave talked about earlier, when we'll stand perfected in the presence of God. And that'll that'll be the day that God says, done. I'm through now. My work is complete. And and I've started it. I worked it all through that life of yours. And I brought you here. And we're done. You are Your salvation is complete. What a day that's going to be. Can we praise God for his unimaginable faithfulness? God, uh, I want to give you some homework. I want you to go home this week and and every day when you pray or, or, or read your Bible, I want you to think about the faithfulness of God. Sometimes we just kind of take it for granted, but I want you to think about, look up words in your Bible about God's faithfulness, about how faithful he's been to you. Think of all the times you've failed him. Think about in, in the last week, in the last day, in the last hour. Think about all those times. Think about all the times that you least deserved his goodness. Think about all the times that you've chased and committed various sins and that you've made a mockery of his suffering on the cross and yet he remained faithful. You're still at this moment, even with our our shoddy track records, we're still shielded by his righteousness and by his mercy. He's still pursuing us with his love and with his blessing. And you are still in this moment, no matter what kind of week you've had, you're still in this moment, the chosen elect apple of his eye. And Jesus said in John 10, there is no one, not even you, that can snatch you from his hand. Lamentations. You know, you read the word lamentations for a title of a book and you think, well, this is going to be depressing. But right in the middle, right in the middle of lamentations, there is this powerful, very well-known passage that just stuck right in the middle in chapter three. And it says this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, even this morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Stop hoping in yourself. You're not your portion. He's your portion. Put your faith, put your hope, put your trust in him. As Paul saying earlier, he is the God that saves. Aren't you glad? Let's thank him that as Peter said, we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead this morning. And if you haven't ever, listen to me carefully, everybody give me your 100% attention, if you have never put your trust in Jesus, why not let today be the day? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What are you scared you're going to lose? You're not going to lose anything except a bunch of sin and guilt and shame. You're going to gain life eternal. You're going to gain full acceptance, total righteousness. 
and, and fellowship and communion with Almighty God. Don't put it off. Perhaps you've had a tug on your heart this morning and, and I want to just tell you, that's God awakening you to believe this could be the moment that this principle that we're talking about, that God is regenerating you, that he's causing you to be born again to believe. And, and if so, this will be the most exciting day, the most important day, the most significant day of your life. You say, well, how do, how do I know for sure? Well, let me ask you this. Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe that, that Jesus Christ was the perfect son of God and that, that he died an unjust death and that he did that in your stead, the death that you should have died, he died for you? Do you believe that after three days God rose him from the dead and that right now he's seated at the right hand of God as the, as the uh, undisputed king of the entire universe and that someday he's going to return and he will make everything new? If you believe that, and God's waking you up. Praise God. Can you at least look to him and consider his claims? Can you have the guts to find a guy like me, Pastor David, Don, Daryl, and ask some questions? Or check out a Bible and see if he is who he says he is? We've got one more copy of a great book out there called More Than a Carpenter who explain, and explains some of the things, the questions that you might be asking about how do we know that all this is real? And it's free. You can have it if you're the first one out there to get it. So no fights. If you answered, I'll buy you another one if, there, if that one goes away. If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you can know for sure beyond any shadow of a doubt right now that God is working in you. And I'm, this is the only encouragement I have for you. Run to him. Run to him. Get to him. And all that is, I, I, that, you, when I say run, it might it denotes some sort of effort. What I want to say to you is just go to him and say, God, I believe, I believe you. I believe everything that the pastor just said about you, that you died, that you rose, that you reign, and, and, and that you want me and that you're calling me. And man, he will, the Bible says, if any man comes to him, there is no way he will turn you out. That's what the scripture says. So just come to him today and you know that you'll be accepted and received. If you would like to talk to someone after the church, like I said, Pastor David, myself, Don, Daryl. In fact, Don and Daryl, we didn't have you up here today. So raise your hands real high so people can see you and they can know to come talk to you if they need to. And and we want to talk to you. We want to see you uh, as part of God's beautiful kingdom that I'll be preaching about next week. Right now, we're going to come and um, and seal all this with the remembrance of the Lord's Supper. If I could have the elders come forward. Um, we are going to uh, just celebrate the fact that none of this regeneration would have been remotely possible had not the perfect spotless lamb of heaven died in our place. And he did. He died and he rose again. And, and so we're going to celebrate this. He gave us these elements of bread and the cup to, um, to remember what this all means. And so we're going to, we're going to do that together now. So if you would just stand with me and I'm going to read.